You're listening to Contact Chai with me, Rabbi Lizzie Heideman. This is a podcast dedicated to inspired, down-to-earth Jewish spirituality in conversation. As we approach the light-filled holiday of Hanukkah, we started a new series, Lies and Lessons, a deep dive into the mythology, the liturgy, the music, and the history of Hanukkah, a rarely overlooked but often misunderstood Jewish holiday. We wrap up our three-part series with Shira Stutman, the senior rabbi at Sixth and I in Washington, D.C., which serves mostly young adults. Shira is on the board of directors of Jews United for Justice and on the J Street Rabbinic Cabinet. She graduated from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and was a Wexner Graduate Fellow. I had such a great time speaking with Shira about her love-hate relationship with Hanukkah, a holiday that, as we will discuss, has transformed over thousands of years in every generation and situation responding to the needs of the moment. Take a listen. What I'd like to start off by asking you is like, how are you feeling about Hanukkah this year? It's, it's actually a question that I had to think about yesterday, Lizzie, because yesterday we recorded, Six and I recorded, its piece of the Hanukkah collaboration that the Jewish Emergent Network is putting together. So I had to like think about what is Hanukkah this year? And uh, what I said yesterday is, you know, I want to I want to begin by like with um, it's going to be like a little confessional moment, which every single sixth and I knows. But like I'm telling the wider world, which is that I hate Hanukkah. Hanukkah oh, is not tell my us holiday. more. Tell us more. I I I I I I feel like um, the backstory to Hanukkah. I mean, the the miracle of the oil is quite lovely, but the sort of Jewish civil war part is not uncomplicated. I think that it is a minor holiday that has sort of been blown out of proportions because America, and maybe if I had grown up in Israel, I would be able to like Hanukkah more because um, it would be p- more part of the um, c- civil religion, you know, the way that Christmas is here in America. Um, I just don't like the way that it gets overplayed. And I would take like 400 Shavuot before one Hanukkah, you know, Shavuot, the poor holiday that gets just so ignored. <laughs> so I was gonna, yeah, is there anything redeeming about this holiday? Here is here is the redemption. First of all, and I say this is going to sound like I'm joking. I'm not. I love home-based holidays, right? I love. I have one of my dear friends is a pastor here in D.C. And a few years ago, he's like, "Oh my God, this time of year is the worst, isn't it?" You know, with all the holidays. But I was like, "No, we don't like. We don't do anything specific for Hanukkah." So I do like that it's something you can do at home. I of course, like I like any Jewish ritual in which you use multiple senses at once. Mm. And Hanukkah is one of them where like you're frying in the oil and like that that disgusting smell of coming down the next morning of the lot of the oil and the latka still in your kitchen. Like you smell that, you sort of see the lights, you sing the songs, you tell the story. Like there are all these ways, like just the I, you know, I can I can touch the 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 wax or the so mm. I do like that part of Hanukkah. And I do like the part of Hanukkah um that is connected to like Diwali and Christmas and like all these faith traditions trying to figure out how to bring light in the darkest of night. Mm. Like, I just think that's so beautiful. So I I think most of my rant comes from the fact that we live in a Christian country that has elevated Hanukkah to a place I don't think it needs to be. I don't know, what do you think about Hanukkah? Uh, Well, I will say I have a three-year-old now and I have a newfound appreciation for uh, the tactileness of Jewish holidays, um, the fire, the, I, I mean, I will say, okay, so 
Judalev found a Buzz Lightyear in the park the other day, like a uh-huh. little, like a little figurine. It was, it was in good condition. He picked it up and he said, mommy, can I take it home? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Some kid definitely lost this toy. And um, long story short, as I said, like, okay, we'll get you one for Hanukkah. Right. And so um, we ordered one because, you know, he needed to know that Buzz was on his way. And he noticed that a box arrived uh, on the front door. And he said, is it Hanukkah yet? Is it Hanukkah yet? And I thought to a three-year-old, you know, like the fact that Hanukkah's in a week, yeah, like feels like way too long. So we did a practice night of Hanukkah two nights ago where we lit candles and gave him a present so he could um, experience uh, Hanukkah kind of practice. And I mean, just to see... Yes, he was very delighted by the by opening Buzz Lightyear, but he was also delighted by the fire. He was also yeah. delighted by the songs. He's really excited for Hanukkah. And yeah. so I have to say, I think like the cynical part of me that's like, ah, you know, America and Christmas just totally blew this holiday out of proportion. You're not even supposed to get presents. And now like, here I am, <laughs> you know. I, I, I am feeling it. I'm, I'm feeling differently about it this year, I have to say. And I have a feeling I'm going to be feeling differently about it probably for the next decade. Um, this morning in our Minion, I shared the rewritten version of Banu Choshech Ligaresh. Um, so that on, on our last podcast, I talked with Jessica Kate Meyer about um, how some of the you know, the, the mythology and the liturgy and the music around Hanukkah sort of villainizes darkness. You know, it's like, oh, the light, it's uh, the light is so powerful. The light is so beautiful. The light, like make the darkness go away. And in the rewritten version of this song, um, it doesn't say Banu Choshech Ligaresh, like we've come to dispel the darkness. It says Banu Choshech Likadesh. We've come mm. to sanctify oh, the darkness. Oh, beautiful. Right? And so I think like, I, if, if there's anything I want to, you know, think about and play, play with this year, it's, you know, how we kind of make amends and make tshuva for the fact that we have really denigrated darkness. You know, we've, we've, and, and that obviously has like a translation into racism. And, um, and so to say like, no, no, we're coming to sanctify the darkness, to find the place for darkness and for light and, you know, not to diminish the light, but to raise up, um, like what happens in the dark, like what's possible in the dark. So I think there's fun stuff to play with and, you know, talking to my little three-year-old about Hanukkah, like I, I, we haven't even talked about Maccabees. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't like his name is Judah. Um, at some point he's going to learn about Judah Maccabee. But right now I think it's really, you know, sort of the, the tactile part of it that feels really powerful. I think that's true. There was a year where my son who has like big, long curly hair, got his hair lit on fire by the Hanukkah. That was very tactile, but Memorable. He, had, Memorable. he was, my mother put it out with her bare hands um, and something only a soft could do. No, I think that actually this idea of the Kadesh, like is really beautiful. I mean, I think first of all, there is like the, the complexity nowadays. I try not to use the language of like light, good, dark, bad. Yes. Like I will say night, which of course also is not always bad, but no. just to separate it out. Um, but I thought you were going to go somewhere else with the with the new translation, which is that you know one of I don't know if this is one of Judaism's core teachings, but it's certainly one that feels core to me and my life and my rabbinate is that 
you, you cannot have the wholeness without the brokenness, right? You cannot have like the joy without the sorrow. You cannot have and that if we are using the idea of night as sort of something negative or broken, which I understand you're, we're not necessarily doing, but like if we are, then like we have to make it holy, the brokenness. We have to make it holy, the difficult times. I mean, like, gosh, what a message for COVID, right? Like mm. e even in this, like there is something holy, not that I, I, I'm, not that it's good when someone dies and you have to do a funeral, you know, I have to do a funeral in a few hours and, you know, like, it's not like it's good when someone dies, but there is a holiness about the whole process. And so I think that is also something that we can lift up in this, this COVID moment that we're in. How, how, just out of curiosity, so you're in Washington, DC, how over the past, you know, four years have, have these metaphors of sort of like darkness and light or, I, I mean, I don't know if night is the metaphor you would use, but you know, yeah. over the past four years, how has Hanukkah shed light, so to speak, on you know how all of you have been doing in a part of the country, you know that is that emanates so much of um, I don't know what I have felt is the like negative negative feelings. I'm gonna pull a little bit on the story of the Maccabees, and maybe not. Yeah the actual story as complex as it is with Jews killing other Jews for, but just like the idea of perseverance and the few among the many, I actually never felt like those of us who were sort of fighting, who were privileging justice, you know, and privileging compassion. I never really felt like we were the few against the many. I always felt like there were many of us, but there was this idea of, if you think about the Maccabees, like I'm thinking of the Shir La La song, like the I don't know if you guys have Shira Lala Hanukkah in your house yet, but if you don't, you should, Shira Klein. There's a Maccabee song and it's like, we are the Maccabees marching, marching. Can you believe it? My kids are 18 years old and I can still sing the songs to you all these years later. And just the idea of just like perseverance and we're going to march forward and we're going to put one foot in front of the other because the last few years, there were lots of terrible things that happened. In fact, I think that was part of the strategy, you know, of the last few years was just like keep throwing things that I perceive as against the fight for justice, things that I perceive as against the pursuit of compassion or love or kindness. And they were just like coming at you from all, from all, from all angles. And so I just like through it, we are going to be marching, marching, marching. Mm. And, you know, I'm also thinking a little bit about the sort of um, the very famous Michelle Obama quote, that when they go low, we go high. And the idea of like, how do you respond in the face of an oppressor, right? So even if we like sort of take it out of like the last four years, you can do with it what you will. It's like, how do you respond in the face of the oppressor? And there, there are, there are, you know, and there are different opinions, you know, and there are many smart people who say, no, when they go low, we go low, because that's the only way we actually will win this battle. And so there are moments for that. And, but then also like the idea of, you know, what does it mean to march forward in God's presence, right? It's like the idea of like, no, they're going to go low. We're going to continue to try our best to go high. Um, and, and, and we're going to, the only way out is through. Mm. What are other, what are other dimensions of the Hanukkah story that maybe don't get enough attention or airtime, you know, as, as we were focusing on, you know, the, for example, the Maccabees, you know, the fight of the many against or the few against the many or, or the light in the dark. Well, one of the things that we had, you know, before we started recording, said we were going to talk about is this theory. I mean, it is in the book of Maccabees, I guess, that Hanukkah is eight days long because it's actually supposed to be uh, the Sukkot holiday 
that the Jews were not able to celebrate when they were at war. And that's where we get this like weird eight day number from. I was thinking about that in this COVID year and it connects sort of to the story you were telling about Buzz Lightyear earlier, this idea of like, what does it mean? You know, Jews, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Heschel says like, we are, um, we are a people who, who make time sacred, not space sacred. And like, you know, people typically don't do Shabbos on a Tuesday. It's just not done. It's like, if you miss Shabbos one week, you just do it the next week. You don't like do it on Wednesday instead. And so what does it mean that the Jews said, well, we couldn't do Sukkot. So we're going to do it in December instead. That feels so wrong to my contemporary Jewish years. We just heard a beautiful story of how you and your family did Hanukkah. <laughs> But it wasn't wrong. Like, look mm -hmm. how beautiful it was. And so, like, what is it? What are the things that we are going to put off during this COVID moment? You know, of difficulty. And what are the moments that we're going to put off? And what are the celebrations that we're going to have when this is done? Done is a weird word because I don't think it's like I don't know what done means. But like, when this is more done than it is now, when there is a vaccine that people have access to, and wh and what are we going to do now? We're going to do the best Hanukkah we can now, no matter what, you know? And so I do, that's something I've been thinking about a lot that I don't typically think about on Hanukkah because there isn't usually so much like, well, we can't do this. So do we not do it at all? Or do we right, wait? Right. Because it would be, I mean, like a three-year-old's tolerance for, you know, delayed gratification is, you know, what it is. But I don't think the, you know, a teenagers or an adult is much better, you know, and to be like, well, we'll just wait until next year. That's a long, that's like a really long time away. Um, but I'm thinking about all of the, especially like the be mitzvah kids who were basically saying, you know, we're, we're going to do the best version of this on zoom that we can do. And like, here are all the different things that we can do to make it exciting. Also, when this is all over, like you and every other kid who had a zoom mitzvah is going to come together and read Torah from the scroll in a community. And we're all going to celebrate and cheer and dance and, you know, sort of whenever we can do that. And it probably won't be on the date of the Parsha that you, you know, originally had. It'll be on some other date and it'll be amazing, you know? Uh. <laughs> Look, I think that's so, so the way to go. It's the both and answer, right? It's not the either or answer. It's like, we are gonna persevere in this moment of difficulty. And we're gonna, you know, have, I mean, for me, because of Sixth and I, mine is always, the question is always about weddings, right? Like, do you Wait, push and just tell me, tell me why is Sixth and I always about weddings? Sixth and I is a spiritual community, which is geared mostly to people in their twenties and thirties. And so that's the age that a lot of people get married. So there's just like a lot of weddings. But the idea of like, you, like, we, we don't, we don't wanna push off joy mm. like to push off joy I think is, is is like there's just not enough of it to begin with and um so we want to grab for every moment of joy and by the way if we create even more moments of joy at that bar mitzvah celebration whatever be mitzvah celebration in a year then like we we create more joy I mean life is hard enough as mm. it is yeah that's like the like ma'alin bakodesh like going up and in light, in joy, in holiness. It's sort of like this principle, a theme of lighting candles every night and growing the number of candles every night. So going up, I like what you're saying about like, there's not, there's not enough joy to begin with. Like why ration it? You know, why, why not do what can be done now and also what can be done later, which will be different. Yeah. I, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says why ration joy. Mm. 
<laughs> By the way, I think that is something that human beings do. I mean, we always joke at Sixth and I that the true chief rabbi of Sixth and I is Brittany Brown. And she who is a, for those who don't know, she is a social worker and she is a, I don't know, a guru. Like, what is she? She's like, kind of like a, a pop psychology social worker guru. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So, um, but you know, Brene Brown talks about something called foreboding joy that like one of the things that happens, and I think this especially happens to ethnic, I, I, I can't speak as much to the Sephardic Mizrahi community, but ethnic Ashkenazi Jews who carry a tremendous amount of trauma mm. is that the second we we feel ourselves feeling deep joy, actually alarm bells go off, right? Because like something's going to happen. She talks about like, you go in to kiss your child goodnight, you know, they're sleeping in their bed and you lean over to kiss them. And like your heart starts to feel, oh my God, I love this child so much. But instead you think either, what if they get sick? What if they, you know, what if something happens to them? I didn't make their lunch for tomorrow. Oh my God, I have something to do. It's like your brain doesn't allow you. And that, you know, mm. part of what we're supposed to do while we're watching the Hanukkah candles melt down is take that half an hour or 45 minutes, whatever it is. That's why the candles are so small and sit still and try to be in the joy. That's yeah. um, hard. Yeah. I mean, can you say a little bit more about that sitting, sitting with the Hanukkah candles and sit, you know, I, I think that I certainly did not grow up doing that. Like we, we lit candles, we opened presents and then the menorah sat there on the table while we did other things. I don't know that that's a a practice that people are as familiar with. Yeah, I think that's true. I I feel like, I I feel like it was the same in my childhood home growing up. So you know, there's a re- I was once working with a conversion student who said, Rabbi, do you realize how many different kinds of candles Jews use? Like every time you do something, you light a candle. And I, you know, I took it, I was like, oh yeah, Shabbat candles, Hanukkah, Yorzeit, you know, Havdalah, we got it. So, but there's a reason that Hanukkah candles look different than Shabbat candles. And that's because Shabbat candles are supposed to burn for a certain amount of time. And Hanukkah candles are supposed to burn for a shorter amount of time only because the entire time that they're burning, you're supposed to sit in front of them and sing and sort of, and be joyous, yeah, play dreidel, you know, just, it's just sort of be together in whatever way that means. And also sort of be, just cease from the work of that, not ceasing in like a Shabbat way where you can't use technology, but just like ceasing from the craziness. Mm. Um, and it's, it can be quite a meaningful time. And it's actually not that long of a time when you think about it to sort of bring a sort of a family together in person or in Zoom. You know, if you're all by yourself, as many of my congregants are because yeah. they're younger and single, you know, you can Zoom with a different person every night for eight nights. You know, there are different ways that you can sort of bring people into your space. Um, in, in my, in, 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 my family today, we have uh, you know a different theme for every night of Hanukkah, and so every night we sort of some of the some of the nights. I want to be clear, we're not so virtuous. Some of the like we have big gift night that is a theme, right? Mm-hmm. We have Boaz night, which is our dog. So I don't want you to think it's like all you know sort of Jewish philosophy night and Jewish law. And we just will like speak to the theme of the night or sort of you know mm-hmm. participate, you know, talk about or somehow uh, partake of the theme of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just we, another opportunity yeah. to slow down. Yeah, at which like is an intentional choice. But if you have like the light of the candles in front of you, but also the glow of your cell phone, right? Like there, 
one of those things you're actually, you have a, an actual addiction to looking at and to paying attention to. So to decide to turn the phone over or actually put it in a different room or a different part of the kitchen or whatever, and actually just pay attention to the candles. Yeah. And I think you saying intentional choice is really important. You know, when I teach about Shabbat and the same is true for Hanukkah, it's that these are not things that happen to you. You have to create them and it takes work. It takes effort. It takes like, you know, in my family, I'm working some of the nights of Hanukkah. So we have to sit down and we have to say, okay, this night we're going to light the candles at 10 o'clock at night, right? So everyone be prepared to light at 10 o'clock at night. You know, this night we're going to light by Zoom, this night. And so it, it, people want religion. There, there is a feeling sometimes I get that like people think religion should be super easy. Like, it, because like some, because God should be easy and it should all come easy and we're American and everything should have a silver bullet and be really quick. And it's like, no, nothing meaningful comes really easy. Is your marriage really easy? Like, I want to be in your marriage. No, everything worth doing requires a little bit of work. And so, so too with Hanukkah. It's like, you just need to think about it. And when I, when I say that, I mean, like, be intentional about more than the presence. Let the presence yeah. do. yeah. You know, you're reminding me of, I think, like a transition that probably happens for, for, first of all, for anybody who grows up practicing holidays, you know, and having them transmitted by parents. So usually it's not the kids who are doing the intentional thinking. It's the, it's the parents who have to do that. And at a certain point, as an adult, you realize, oh, like, this won't just happen to me. Like, somebody put in the effort here, you know? Um and I mean, for, for so many things, not just Jewish practice, but at a certain point you realize actually how much effort um, and intentional choice-making parents did in order to create the very easy life that, you know, or, or whatever it was, the very, the, you know, the seamless holiday celebration um, that you might've had as a kid, but for people who, who didn't do it as children and who are discovering it as, um, as adults, it's, you know, I don't think it's, um, it's any easier necessarily to have done it as a kid. Um, maybe you have, maybe you've got like, you know, a muscle memory for some of those songs. Um, but I think like to actually discover this stuff as an adult or rediscover it as an adult and get the opportunity to think like, how do I want to do this? Like, where do I want to put the menorah? Do I actually want to put it like in the front window where people will see it? Do I feel comfortable with that? Um, just as an FYI to people, um, if you have curtains, make sure they're far away from those candles. <laughs> uh, so you set your son's hair on fire. I set my paper curtains in Los Angeles on fire and my landlord had to call me. I was teaching a class. He called me six times in a row. So I figured it was important. Uh, and as I came home, it was like uh, the set of, um, you know, at Universal Studios when they show you like the set of the house with the fire coming out of the windows. Uh, and the good news was like the kitchen was made out of tile and it really just was like fire coming out of the window with the paper curtain there. But in any case, you know, so you got to be careful. Do you put the, the menorah there? Or do you put it on your table? Do you actually light real candles? Is that safe where you are? Do you, you know, do you get one of those menorahs that has little electric lights? you know, like in, in like nursing homes or in hospitals, which is totally kosher, by the way, you can, you know, use a, an electric really? light. I believe if you can't use fire, you use a light, light bulb. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to hold by Rob Lizzie for this. I, I, I believe so. It's like, that's one of those things. Like I, I heard it somewhere. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Um, but right. Like all of these trades, do I, do I want to actually organize friends on zoom to do like 
do I want to organize my high school friends on night one and college friends on night, you know, like any number of things, like a group of like, get all my non-Jewish friends together to do a night of Hanukkah with me, my family, you know, but all of this obviously requires work and preparation. It doesn't just happen to you. Um, you made me think of a few things. I mean, first of all, um, you know, your kids are younger, my kids are older. And so as they grew to watch, like it went from my husband and I would set the eight days of Hanukkah, you know, um, for the kids. And then at a certain point, the kids started setting the eight days of Hanukkah for the themes for themselves. Do you do it new every year? New themes every every year? Every year we set the themes are a little bit different. Um, And now what we get to do, because my kids are teenagers is like, we have tzedakah night. And so it used to be that like Russell and I would like go to the bank and get $51 bills or $101 bills and they'd have to pick like, and like, you know, you have a three-year-old. So a three-year-old's like, do you want to give money away to animals? Do you want to give money away to, like, it's very simple. And now, and then for my kids, they go into a place where they had to research the organizations and they would bring it. And now we're going into a place where like we do matching funds with them. Now it's like 10 to one matching funds. It's not like my kids are becoming major philanthropists with their allowance, but so just that evolution and them feeling like they own it is meaningful. And, you know, as I said, I work with a lot of people in their twenties and thirties who are figuring out what Judaism means to them as adults. Um, and a lot of interfaith couples in which one of the partners doesn't have the muscle memory. And one of the things I beg of them, and I've had more than one parent call me and yell at me over the years, um, is I beg them to start doing Jewish holidays in their own home. Do As opposed to going to your parents' house. Mm-hmm. Do not wait for Bubby to die, God forbid, to start making your own Seder. Do not wait to do Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because otherwise you are associating, the association is not necessarily with Judaism, but with your parents. And then God forbid if something happens to your parents, like what do you do? Also, you want to create the Passover or Seder that's meaningful to you and not just the one that was meaningful to your parents. Right. Um, yeah. There's like often a sense of, you know, some people have a sense of joy and excitement going to, you know, the historic Seder of the family, but some people dread it every year and it's just like, oh, but I have to. And, you know, there are so many choices you make as an adult that are, that deviate from half that your parents or grandparents might have laid out for you. And, and you say, I think I'm actually going to do it this way. And for many of those choices, they don't offend your your parents or grandparents because it's like, ah, well, you know, he's doing his own thing. But often for holiday celebration, that's, I mean, it it feels like a personal insult. What, our food isn't good enough for you? What, our, you know, Seder isn't good enough for you? Our our Hanukkah lighting isn't good, you know? Um, And I think that, you know, what you're talking about is really challenging. Yeah, and I don't mean, like, I don't want, you know, I don't mean you should never go home to your parents again. Like, I I do, I mean, like, maybe every other Passover, or, you know, do a seventh night Seder, you know, that's your own, or, like, maybe go for Rosh or Yom, but I have so many, I had so many uh, six and Iers who, like, if they weren't going to their parents, they almost wouldn't do anything at all, (laughs) you know, and it's just sort of like, no, it's not either or, you know, Um, and so, Mm -hmm. because I do think people have lots of nice associations with the memories yeah. and, the, and the family and the intergenerational part of it. And so I don't, right. I don't want to say like, cut off all relationships with your parents. Judaism doesn't want that for you. That's not true. Right. No, of course not. But it is, you know, it's, it's a really, it, it makes it really uh, like, like an important personal spiritual evolution to decide I will do this and I will do this in this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. We've talked about, we've talked about um, sort of 
taking like the, the Sukkot model of right. Hanukkah in the winter, which is basically like throw convention to the wind in, in a sense and not, not doing this because it feels right, but because actually like this is necessary, like relocating the joy from here to here, like doing what we can over here. But these are like two different tasks. Like what you were talking about before the Maccabees, like being in the battle during Sukkot, like the temple wasn't fit for a celebration. It was not a, it, at that time. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't being used as a Jewish temple. Jews were not making sacrifices. Um, and the, and the war was on. And then by December, it had been reclaimed. It was being rededicated. Now they could do different things in the temple. So sort of yeah. like figuring out what is the task of the moment and, and leaning hard into what that task of the moment is. You know, you asked earlier, what, what are the things I love about Hanukkah? Yeah. And one of the things I love about Hanukkah is it's a little bit like, um, it's not a Rorschach test, but it's like silly putty, how like, you know, sort of reflect out the moment that it happens in. So like, for instance, you know, as I'm sure you know, right, the first Hanukkah story is the one about the Maccabees, right? The one about- um, Tell then, me, say more, say what, what is the story? So the story is the first story from about 164 BCE is there were these Syrian Greeks who were not permitting the Jews to worship in the temple in the way that they uh, wanted to. And in fact, desecrated the temple so that the Jews couldn't participate in some of their most basic Jewish acts and were not allowing Jews to um, circumcise their, um, their children when they were born or they were not allowing Jews, they were forcing Jews to eat pork. It was just like not good for the Jews. And there was this band of um, rebels, um, freedom fighters, uh, called the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans that came in, it was a David and Goliath story. And they sort of, they, they beat back King Antiochus and the Syrian Greeks and, and then they became the rulers of, of Israel. So it was like one of the moments in uh, Jewish history in which the, the Jews were actually in charge of, of, of Israel. So that's the first story. And I didn't go into this a lot more detail there, but I just figured like, yeah. So like, but then like a few hundred years later, you know, three, four hundred years later, which is like a blink in Jewish timeline, there's a whole new story of Hanukkah that sort of appears in the Talmud that one, when the Jews were trying to rededicate the temple after the Hasmoneans won, they went to light the menorah, the seven, the seven branched candelabra, and there was only enough oil to last for one day, but it was going to take and more than one day to get new oil. And so this oil that they put in that was supposed to last for one day lasted for eight days. And, you know, scholars think, the, and that was the miracle. And scholars think the reason for the second story is maybe not because it was factually true, but because the rabbis who were um, writing during the time of the Talmud were trying, trying to de-emphasize the militaristic part, the militaristic elements of the first story. They were trying to create peace rather than war. And so they, they sort of created a new story that sort of was about light in the darkness. But then if like you go forward in Jewish history, you see the Hanukkah is like, it becomes like, like in um, early Zionism, right? So like, this is like 18, late 1800s, right? Like um, Hanukkah was all about Israel, right? Like the, the light and the darkness was sort of depressed a little bit. And instead it was about the few against the many and this land and reclaiming the land. And so a lot of the songs, if you like grew up singing songs, you can actually, it's the best way to track it. Like a lot of the songs. Like, the, like the best, the best way to track the sort of Rorschach th that you're talking about, like the best way to track sort of where are we in history and what does the moment call for? Mm -hmm. Right, is 
it's listening to the songs. Anyway, and then I can keep on going how like in, in like so many of the eras that we've lived in with the meaning to Hanukkah, the main meaning that people call out. Think of how long we were talking about, you know, light in difficult times before we got to the Maccabees because you and I, Lizzie, I assume are more like, we like that imagery better than the warlike imagery, you know? And so that's very reconstructionist of me, but just like where people were residing and the culture that we were in affects, I mean, now that we're in America, Hanukkah is about giving gifts. It wasn't always about giving gifts, you know? And so, and so that just like deeply affects um, how we celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think though, there's still something to be, um, there's still something to be learned from the the story of the Maccabees, you know, like we, where we, where we ended our little, little retelling, where you ended the retelling is sort of like, and they won and they rededicated the temple. And that's sort of like where that's what the holiday celebrates. The holiday doesn't exactly celebrate the part where they become basically oppressive rulers to their own people who are not adhering to the orthodoxies that they say Judaism is about. And so there's like really a cautionary piece built in about like you can be fighting for all the right things and then achieve them and the work isn't over because then you actually can turn around and become exactly the exactly the the leader the you know the the model of the thing that you were fighting before. That can happen to you. You're so right. Like, what if one of the messages of Hanukkah was power corrupts? And what if that was what we lifted up? The idea that like, when you put people in power who are not used to being in power, sometimes they can use it well, but like, it's not, um, but sometimes when you have too much power, it, 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 yeah, you can, um, you can destroy um, okay. not only everything you stand for, but even like sort of in a wider berth as well. I think that's right. It's like, um, we don't talk about that part of the story that much. <laughs> we don't. It seems relevant though if we're if we're also talking about the sort of like what you were what you were describing before about the sort of like marching, 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 kind of moving through, you know, what feels like dark times and what feels like, you know, just like constant, uh, you know, assault on um, our humanity and people's humanity and just being like one more day and we can do one more day and then getting to a place where like the election is over, you know, yeah. and um, Trump lost. And oh, did he? It's not. Is it clear yet? Uh, yeah. Decided <laughs> yet? Sorry. And you know the the feeling of relief. I mean, you're talking about foreboding joy. Like I didn't actually for a moment have a sense of relief. You know, like ah, oh, great. You know, it's all going to be better now for two reasons. One, I sort of feel like the cat is out of the bag. You know, in terms of the kinds of forces of you know, racism and homophobia and honestly, like anti-democracy that um, have like the cats out of the bag there. And, you know, um, so we have to contend with that, but also that I don't necessarily think that just because you've been fighting the regime that, you know, you're going to be the savior either, you know, like they're all of the things to be careful about, you know, and to like continue to remind ourselves like the, the work goes on, the work goes on, you know, um, yeah. It's like, we're not marching just to march. We're, we're actually marching, marching yeah. like with purpose. With you purpose, know? yeah. And and that like the sense of refuge might be like moments of reconnecting with what our values are so that we can take them back into, you know, the, the, the world in which we live, regardless of who's ruling it, you know? And I'm thinking about like people lighting Hanukkah candles under every administration, you know, but before there was an America and, but, you know, in every country in the world, um, whether Jews had power or had no power and, and what it meant in different, you know, in different times and places 
to, to light these candles and to think about marching, to think about, um, what does it mean to live in the times that we live and what does it mean to light up a candle in darkness, you know, depending on what that, you know, what the, what the circumstances we're living in feel like, like, what does my light right now look and feel and sound like? Um, I think that's, you know, that it doesn't get old. <laughs> it's, it's timeless. And you know, what's, what's so beautiful about that image, Lizzie, is that as you well know, like when you light one candle from another candle, you don't diminish the light in the first candle, mm -hmm. right? So it's like light creates more light, creates more light, creates more light. And so we can think about when we're thinking about like sort of what is my light, we can think about it personally and politically mm -hmm. and familially. And like there are all these arenas in which we can sort of grow our light that will not sort of diminish. It's not a, you know, Hanukkah is not, is a, is an abundance model, not a scarcity model because mm -hmm. there's always more light as long as we're sharing it with each other. And I think it can, it like manifests differently for different people and even manifest for us differently in different years, but like it's there. Um, and uh, if only we seek it and we share it. Contact Chai, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago, a Jewish spiritual community and part of the Jewish Emergent Network. This show is produced by our fabulous team at Mishkan. Editing and production of this podcast is by Hannah Rehack, administrative assistance by Zach Weinberg, and editorial oversight by Director of Communications Ashley Donahue. Our music is by Kalman Strauss. Find out more about Mishkan Chicago at mishkanchicago.org, where you can also make a donation. And if you feel so inspired, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. We want to hear from you. And also, your reviews help other people find us. Sending you many blessings and Chag Urim Sameach, a light and blessing-filled Hanukkah.